Welcome, and you're listening to the You Are Not Alone podcast series, created to provide support to the special educational needs community in Brent and beyond. This is a Jason Roberts Foundation production. Hi everyone, good to be back. How's everyone doing? Well, this week we got uh, we've got an international flavour to, to to what we're doing, and um, we've seen a few of the rules get a little bit relaxed over here in the UK. We're going to explore how that's happening, but we are really here to welcome some of our guests from overseas. Our regular, of course, is Keisha out there in Grenada. Uh, we have Law in France and we have Henning in Germany. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Now, straight off the hip, we know what we've been doing in the UK and I'm sure the team are going to uh, share some of that. But um, if I start with you, Law, you know, how has the lockdown been and um, what's the situation? I know you're in the south of France. What's the situation? for you and, and maybe if you just take us back a little bit to how it started and to where you are now so the lockdown started on the 17th of march uh we've learned i'm a teacher i'm an english teacher and so we've learned on uh the thursday that the schools would be closed on monday so we had only a friday lesson to prepare the kids and that was really useful because some of them were already planning to have like soccer matches and uh, and pyjama parties and so we had to explain how important the lockdown would be so in france uh it lasted till the 11th of may and um it got stricter on uh, one week after the beginning of the lockdown they had to um publish a new decree to to, to tighten up the rules because they were not respected enough. So it was even stricter after one week. Uh, we were not allowed to go out, except uh, if you fill the form, uh, saying exactly, giving all the reasons we're going out. And so we were only allowed it to go out for um, uh, essential errand, medical uh, appointments, and individual exercise, but only one hour and uh, not more than one kilometer from home. Concerning the kids, uh, the schools were uh, closed and only the key workers, uh, children, were welcomed in, in, uh, in uh, some schools with volunteer uh, teachers. Um, and then uh, they, they decided to uh, lift the lockdown uh, from the 11th of May. So, um, primary schools uh, have reopened on the 11th. Uh, some businesses are open like um, shops, uh, but for example, cafes, bars, restaurants, cinemas, theatres are still closed. And, uh, um, and uh, the Prime Minister have asked the people to continue working from home if possible. And uh, we have to respect uh, social distancing and we must normally wear masks, which is not always the case in the street. And um, um, you are allowed to meet people now, but not more than 10. And you are allowed to move, but not more than 100 kilometers from home. How did that impact the, the SEN children? 
that was uh, hard because uh, in my school, we only welcome uh, slight uh, mental disabled uh, kids and learning difficulties kids, but for uh, heavier um, for heavier disabilities, the parents, they only have two days to decide if they would uh, leave their uh, kids in the institutions they, are, they were in uh, with no coming home from the weekends well, for the whole period. That was for the whole period. They had to decide if they uh, leave the kids in the institutions or take them home, but without having any possibilities to bring them back to the institution if there is a problem. So that was hard, a hard decision to take because it was for the whole duration of the lockdown. Okay, okay. Henning, um, the, the same two questions to you, really. Yes, um, here uh, the lockdown in my federal state, which is uh, Lower Saxony, started on 9th of March this year. So um, it was, I was for two days of this week at school in the emerging emergency shift, as we call it, for those um, kids whose parents are doctors or working as a nurse in, uh, in these cases, we have emergency class. But actually, no one came on these first two days because all people were quite scared. I work with severely um, disabled children, most of them autistic, um, and they, uh, the families, um, they are still at home. And um, we have the the lockdown is opening up. So now we face the situation that restaurants open, but we have to keep social distance. Only families are allowed at the at a table. And then you have to at least two meters in between to the next table. We have to wear masks when we go into the shops and into the supermarkets. The shops opened up only one week, one and a half week ago. Only supermarkets were opened up all the time. You could go to the, to the doctors or to physiotherapy, but the gyms were closed, for example. So gyms are opening up probably on Monday here in Lower Saxony, but only if uh, you can't take a shower, you can only do your exercise and then go straight back home in a, and everything is um, limited. So we still face many, many restrictions in our daily lives. And um, I do have to, I have to do Skype um, online classes with students. Only two families are able to have Skype with me. The others I have to send uh, photocopies or any materials um, from school to them uh, to their homes but on the other hand we are um, asked not to copy too much so it's uh, it's really a bit tricky uh, at the moment for for my families and when there are like four children in the back um, uh, uh, shouting uh, the student can't even concentrate on what I'm doing uh, during online class so it's really really tricky at the moment so um yeah that's the situation here and i mean everything is very still very restricted i mean the cases in in germany are very low and our medical system is running uh, uh, doing pretty good job i think in this crisis but um life is still far from being normal yeah that's the situation here and um the good thing, the only really good thing is that the headmaster of our schools, we are special ed schools with, uh, for intellectual disabled children, they ha can do everything they want and the minister is behind. Them. So 
I will go back to school on 22nd of June and probably, and that's the sad thing, I will never see my class before going to Japan oh. because only those kids are allowed to go to school who are capable of wearing a mask, of keeping distance, and only those kids, even in our school. So, Honey, yeah. so Sorry, Michael, do you mind if I ask a, a few questions? Is that oh, right? please, I want everybody to ask as many questions as they like. I wanted to ask a, a question, one, one to Henning, because he mentioned some protective equipment. So is that the case that those students who are actually in school do have to wear protective equipment as well as staff? And also I have another question, Law could come back maybe and just explain a little bit, because you mentioned that primary schools were open, but what about social distancing in schools? Are they fully open to all of the students? Or is it to selective students? How are you managing um, the school reopening? You go? Yeah. Okay. So um, our students can't wear masks uh, because they would tear them away. We can wear masks, but we have to buy them for ourselves. The the um, the government is not providing them for ah. us. So, but we we can uh, go to school wearing a mask to protect ourselves. And our classes are reduced. So only. Like when we have six students in class, only three are allowed to come and one teacher is working with three students in a class and they do not share the, uh, the recess uh, or they are just in their classroom working there and only uh, like we are starting at 8.30 and school ends at 11.50 and then the buses take them back. So it's not the full whole school day like we used to for, uh, before like three o'clock in the afternoon. That's uh, that's not the case. And when the buses arrive, the students have to. Um, it looks like a like a military place at the moment because there are some um, uh, yellow, blue, orange, and uh, green spots on the floor with two meters distance in between. And then the teacher has to collect the students from this yellow dot, for example, to the classroom, and only one by one with distance. So it's really um yeah completely different right now and only grades 2 12 to 10 go at the moment and next week it changes then grades 9 to 6 go to school and then at, at last the primary class that's the way how they do it here in germany uh, in france primary schools and uh preschools actually also have started from the 11th of uh, may um they are not forced to wear masks, only secondary school. I will talk about them later. Uh, so in primary school, they have to respect social distancing. So no games at the recess. Uh, they have to stay seated uh, in uh, just one place. They cannot uh, go. They cannot touch the books, the games. They cannot exchange uh, uh, school supplies. So it, that's quite hard. They have limited groups. And uh, it's on a voluntary basis. Uh, the parents are not forced to put the children back. So for the moment, they, they have really limited groups. Um, most parents are too scared to put the kids back to school. Second, secondary sorry, uh, schools have reopened from the um, 18th. Only grade 7 and uh, 8 for here. And uh, they are forced to wear masks. Uh, it's only limited groups, and the schools can decide on which um, basis they would reopen. Or school, for example, they have decided to welcome only um, children with uh, parents working, 
and uh, kids who have no uh, computer hardware or internet access at home. Uh, so for the moment, at school, we only have uh, 50 uh, pupils out of 900, which is enormous. That's just 50 kids. And uh, they're, they're, um, the special needs were given a priority, but um, only two of them came back to school out of the 30 we have normally uh, in, in those two years. So for the moment, uh, they are trying to test this new system with social distancing, and, uh, but they are really a few kids. The, um, the homeschooling um, goes on, and actually the kids that are at school, they follow the homeschooling. They, they, they won't have new lessons. Uh, they called it um, the, the educational continuity. We have to, uh, to bring only reinforcement, uh, no new contents for the moment. Okay. Okay. Um, Keisha, has um, anything changed out there from Grenada, from where it was? Um, yes. So presently we have only four cases. Um, the others has been cleared out of 22, 25, I believe. So we're, we're getting better. Um, presently, we have more days to go shopping. So we're still on the curfew, but we're able to go out five days. Um, last week, they had full days, full seven days of shopping. So we're hoping that tomorrow and Sunday, it continues that way. They're talking right now, the ministers, um, Ministry of Education, they're talking about reopening schools. That has not been cleared as yet. Um, it was also, well, it's still in the planning line about opening the airport. The airport, sorry, on the 1st of June. So we're looking for that information to see what happens there. We still struggle because, for example, some of the business places have not, has not been open as yet. And personally seem to be struggling with that, especially as pertaining to income. Pertaining to schools, we're still not sure as to how. Okay, I think we lost you just for a little bit there. I'm sorry. That's okay, it's not your fault. Nothing you can do, you're not in charge of the internet. That's okay. <laughs> But um, just um, in, in light of that, and again, and I want the team to come in as well, what are the current anxiety levels of the parent at the moment for these SEN children? So the parents, they're still struggling to meet the needs of the children at home. Again, it wasn't something that, you know, they're accustomed with. Neither has the children. So they still struggle. It's a bit challenging for the parents and the children you know at this time and we're still trying to find ways and resources as to helping the the parents you know understand um the situation of the child because to me if they understand the situation of the child it would be easier for them to plan and cope and put things in place it would be a bit less frustrated for them so at this time they're still a bit frustrated the ministry is trying to put things in place for them and get help for the parents, you know, little probably seminars or presentations or getting persons to work along with them as to finding activities and finding support for them. Presently, 
I again I have a parent support group where I send out daily information as to words of encouragement. I would send out resources, activities. There are some parents that I would um, work with their children one on one, just ask, you know, how can I help? You know, do you need any activities, any resources? I would ask rather than just, you know, say, oh, do this with your child. So, you know, with whatever area that they're struggling with, I will try my best to assist them or just find the materials, find someone they can talk to, you know, provide them with that support. Okay. Um, Kai? Yeah, I mean, there's um, a few sort of key points that, obviously, I wasn't on the pod last week because I've been quite busy. I started to get back in action myself. And there's a few things that I've sort of been picking up and learning. um, And also that (coughs) hearing from... uh, everyone else on, on this podcast today is that one of the key things um, that we seem to be finding now more and more when I'm speaking to parents um, sort of face-to-face from a distance and on the phone and on Zoom is there seems to be a, a, a direct correlation to lack of technology, lack of access to uh, facilities via the internet um, with disabled families. Whether that's due to a lot of the parents can't work full-time because the time's already taken and now there's less income coming because the parents can't work part-time because they've got to look after more kids at home. That stress level has been uh, heightened because don't forget where a lot of us live on the borders of, borders of cities. Schools are trying to go back, yet workplaces aren't going back. So a lot of parents are trying to figure out how do I juggle that balance between sending my, my child back to school who's going to be anxious and going to be struggling with social distancing and learning a new environment and also going back to work. Um, because we can't access a lot of the children we want to access through technology because the families can't afford the technology. Um, we're very fortunate we're on Zoom at the minute. Not as uh, Henning was saying, he's only got two families on Skype. So he's got to have six children. That's 30% of your children only on Skype. So 60% he's missing. So if you, if you average that across every, a class of 18, the numbers escalate very quickly as to how we can't access these kids. And that's going to cause the parents a lot of anxiety, especially on the back of the head. They're thinking about going back to work, if they can get back to work. And is that job still going to be there? So it's very telling. It's in the UK. I'm not sure if it's around the world. It's National Mental Health Week. Um, the, the mental health of the parents is going to be yeah. at breaking point. I, um, and that, yeah, we that, touched that, upon that last week. I agree yeah. with you here on the, on the point um, with, uh, that the, the, the numbers would increase uh, the more students you have. Sometimes it's, um, uh, but I must also say, it's like uh, Keisha said before, it's always the question uh, what you offer and how far you go into the families. Um, I have families in class, they wouldn't accept that I, I can, uh, I, I send materials there and uh, give them th- exercises for the kids so that they get not bored. But it's always, um, some families say, no, we are just, quite happy everything is okay and they don't let let you into the into the family it's their their own sphere so you don't you don't belong there and for some families they really ask and uh, then it's okay and then i give more and i try to uh, to put up with more and the families um who have who i got on, on skype at the moment they really ask for it and they we, we had to talk a long time on the telephone because the parents couldn't get Skype installed. So I was there helping them to get Skype installed. So um, that's, uh, um, yeah. So some people or some families really have uh, needs there and some 
cope fine. And yeah, it's yeah. also about the cultural background. I have in my class there are um, three Turkish families, and oh no, two Turkish and one from Syria. And I, only one family, a Turkish family, they really get uh, on the phone regularly and they ask me for delivering things for their daughter. But the other families, they don't want anything. So all we, my colleague as well, we both offered. And when there is no reply, we say, okay, then it's it. So it, it is like this. I can't change the situation at the moment. Even if I wish that my students would get something or, yeah, because I know they are just in front of the TV at home. Uh, I think yeah. what you said there is extremely telling. And early on, you said a lot of families think, oh, well, it's okay. And we touched on it in the first podcast was the expectations of parents with their children. Um, we as facilitators and educators, we, like, we see potential, potential, potential. And sometimes to the detriment of ourselves where we believe too much in people and we get let down ourselves. And I think for a lot of parents that are still coming to terms with, if you're not in the classroom environment, for not, I'm not a teacher, I'm, I, I teach golf and, and stuff like that. But if you're in the classroom and all the time, you can see how kids can learn. But for a lot of parents, I don't think they actually understand the learning process for someone mm -hmm. with a disability. Um, there's almost an education standpoint for the parents to understand how, what, why, and when. Just that being okay could be long-term maybe but it's a situation that they've been catapulted into i can see jane has actually got her hand up so please uh please jane make your contribution i, I absolutely agree with our other speakers i mean one of the things we have found really really um useful in our schools is is that whole idea of flexibility and really thinking about what each family needs so it's not a it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all mm -hmm. um and we've been trying to see as many families as possible. And that's why inviting them in to use our play facilities um, in time slots. And obviously, they're cleaned and all of that afterwards. But that's been really helpful so that we've really got a feel for all of our families. So I don't think we've had anybody be out, be, be net, they've not slipped through the net um, because we've been able to be really reactive and proactive about finding out what they need. And it's a very different need for different families so some is is online learning they love it some is a specific little videos sent to the to the families because that's what what will engage that child others it's resources we've had loads of jason roberts has helped us with lots of resources big shout out for that um but other you know sending resources home sending equipment home we've i mean we've absolutely stripped some of our classrooms because the children have got those resources at home at home now so really trying to think about what does each individual family need and and want um that, that's great and, and our staff have been very proactive including videoing themselves doing something so that the, the parent can actually copy because sometimes it's not the it, the, the parents want to engage is that they're not sure of how to do it and for some of our families english is their second language maybe even third language and so demonstrating um and it helps a lot i mean one of the things that henning said which struck me with some of the families that said you know we don't want nothing i mean there is a case i expect where there's going to be that kind of cultural vacuum where where there's this space that's created because of cultural practices at home. So, you know, that's school, this is home, we don't involve that there. 
it's the first time I've heard that come out, but it's it's obviously very real. I think going back to school as well, we've got where when we receive kids into our sessions. I mean, I've been back. Say, I say back coaching this week. We've had a couple <laughs> of these, uh, children with disabilities come in, but because we're teaching at a distance, we're trying to get the parents hands on in the lessons and interacting. And where we have our pre-assessment data coming in for a lesson and educate as educators. Is there not now an opportunity to go deeper into that, just in case there is lockdown part two, three, four, five, and six, as to how each each child learns best individually? A questionnaire for the families, maybe, that we can somehow get some more data as to in individualising that approach, maybe long term. Yeah, I mean, I think Sorry. the quality of data is important. We've got a parent here. David is here, so David, I'm going to bring you. Going to bring you in now. Good evening, David. Yes, uh, hi, Mike. I just wanted to say a, a quick couple of things. Um, as this goes on, um, a key thing here that you know will we'll have a bearing on anxiety levels is respite. You know, I think parents generally, when things are going normally, get respite when their kids are at school, and they, you know they can meet other parents and so on. And you know, there's there's a lot of things in the mix. It's a delicate balance. I speak for my child. He likes the structure of school. Um, the fact that that is absent now does, you know, contribute to his his anxiety. He he is learning at home, but but by the same token, he's anxious. And as time goes on, he will get more anxious because, you know, we'll go into the summer holiday, and that will be compounded by the fact that the you know, it'd be difficult to have a holiday for the family, and I, you know, I, anxiety levels will follow a, an upward curve, you know, as this goes on, and this obviously is going to go on, and you know, so respite is a key thing. And David, are you are you saying for yourself, you're seeing those anxiety levels sort of tip up each week? My son, he he enjoys school, and. You know, while generally during the summer we go on holiday and so on, you know, come the end of the summer, he wants to get back to school. But now we've been, we've been, uh, you know, we've been away from school now for a, for a long period of time. And, you know, th there may be a period, a short period for which um, some children get back, not all of them. Um, but then it's into the summer holiday again. So, you know, he will get more anxious. Undoubtedly, and that is a concern. You know, it's it's inevitable. It's it, that he'll get more anxious because he he gets anxious in in a normal sort of year, but this year he will be more anxious. And, okay. You know, coming back to the point, I think the general point was, you know, anxiety levels in families and so on. You know, bear in mind we, we're just at the start of this. You know, there could be a second wave. It's unfair to what extent kids can get back to school, you know, how long it's going to last for. And for, for children and, and young adults with special needs, it'll just keep chipping away at their anxiety levels. Margaret? I just say that we're already identified that anxiety and trauma is going to be part of um, all of our pupils when they come back to school. So we've already designed a recovery curriculum that pays um, a lot of attention on PSAT, People's mental health and well-being is going to be paramount on, at, when we re-engage them in school. So we are 
hopefully, David, going to be able to have um, something in place for all of our pupils when they come back to school to support their mental health and well-being and their anxiety levels. Can I ask uh, Law just about on just on this international side of things as to what is the you know, your thirty students? What is the breadth of their special educational needs, and are the conversations that you're hearing here the sort of conversations that you're also having similar conversations with the parents and the carers? As I said, um, most of the kids we have, they have learning, strong learning difficulties and uh, some are uh, slightly disabled. So what I'm hearing is like, uh, it rings a bell, but it's not, the, uh, you don't have the whole range of difficulties you have. But concerning anxiety, I can say that uh, I teach also mainstream students and they have the same, actually. Yeah. The, the anxiety is rising uh, the same level. Uh, it really depends on the parents, as you said, because uh, the situation at home can be very difficult because of the economical crisis, uh, part-time jobs. and So everybody is uh, coping with the same problem at the moment. And I can feel that my uh, special needs, they experiment the same anxiety as mainstreams. But problem is that for um, to, to help them uh, we have to keep the link as teachers and we have to motivate them with this link so uh, we have to find new ways as Henning said Skype videos interactive exercises interactive books virtual classes and that's nice that's nice but the proportion of special needs kids who have no access to that is higher than the mainstream students and that's when we lose them actually. With the mainstream students, it's more, um, it's easier because we have uh, more access to their families. The parents, they answer the phone, they uh, answer your emails, they, uh, they, uh, they communicate with you. And that's not always the case with the special needs. Uh, as you said, sometimes they just want to, to, to stay in a bubble, in the family bubble. They don't want, they say it's all right, but we know that it's not always the case. And we know that the kids, they need to interact with the other kids and with us. So that's, I would say the core of the problem is there. When you have access to the families, when you can exchange, it's always easier to find ways to cope with the anxiety and, uh, and we can intervene. But otherwise, some of the kids, I cannot even talk to them because the parents, they would not give the phone to the kids. They would just not answer. I can see Henning wants to. So if we go Henning, Aggie, and then Kai. Yeah, okay. and, and sometimes your students are nonverbal. I mean, I got four nonverbal students in class, and one of them I got on Skype with her mother sitting behind her. So when I'm putting up the, the iPad in front of the camera because we're doing Osmo games, and then there is uh, sh uh, the student sh uh, should decide between the, it's a very nice anecdote because um, Leandra sh should show me the her first letter in her name, so L. But her mother's always always calling her Muckelchen, and Muckelchen in Germany begins with M. So um, the daughter was pointing on the M, and I said to the mother, "So that's your fault because you are not naming your your daughter correct." And <laughs> we both went onto laughing, and and Leandra laughed too. And it is just that yeah, social interaction. I think uh, in this way, 
both uh, Leandra and uh, her mother learned and I learned as well. So it was, it was really fun to have this situation. And this is what, what we can do and uh, to, to, yeah, to motivate, to put a smile on the face when it's possible. And with all other, I mean, you all work are in a similar field. You all have WhatsApp, you are connected to the, uh, to the parents uh, by texting or sending a, mess, a short message. And I think that this is the, uh, at the moment um, the best thing that we can do to stay in touch, actually, because um, in here, I think it, it will not change. Uh, we have plans for, for the students when they return back to school as well, like yours, but um, still we are not at this point because we are quite far away from, from a normal situation here and uh, it will take a long time. They hope to find the vessel in a year, but we don't know if if the virus is changing itself as well, so what will be a lesson or will we have to learn simply to live with this kind? Uh, and yeah, we don't know. So it's, uh, we just have to, uh, to wait how this whole thing develops at the moment. And, right. But I think our students are more than others uh, displaced in, uh, in the society and uh, the gap you can, uh, can see very clear. So <coughs> there has to be a, um, another way uh, to be developed in the, for, the, for the next thing that's coming up. Yeah, well, I just wanted to add that actually uh, listening to Law and Henning, I have to say that you are in, in many ways lucky because here in England, we, I would love to be able to speak to my students and have that interaction, but due to all of the safeguarding issues that we've got around communication on one-to-one -one basis and doing live videos and, and all the, the legal restrictions that we've got put in place, we are actually... Uh, unable to contact the students the way we would like to. Uh, we do have parents that also say that, that the students are happy with the material we provide and, and the pre-recorded videos that are put on the website, etc. But they actually really miss that social interaction from the teachers and uh, the students. And um, due to the safeguarding re restrictions, I wouldn't be able to go on, on Skype and speak to my students because that's not allowed. And this is, I don't know what my colleagues from England will, will have to comment on that topic, but, but we, we are not allowed to, to have um, individual contact with our pupils. So I, me as a teacher, I cannot have interaction like we're having now with my pupils. And this is, this is another way by stopping uh, our students um, from having that almost live contact with uh, familiar faces like the teachers that, that they know. Could I just okay. ask um, Benora a question, please? Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you, you mentioned that, that you had 50 out of 900 pupils return to your school. And I'm interested to know um, the success stories of, um, that, that, have been, that have happened as a result of the pupils returning to school, if you could just elaborate on that a bit more. Um, in my school, we're um, trialling a phased approach where we have a small number of students currently in school. But as you're slightly further down the process, it would be good to get a perspective from you guys to see if we can learn anything from yourselves. From the moment, they have decided that, uh, I'm talking about secondary school, they have decided that the schools would be quite free to, de to decide which, um, which kids would uh, come back. So in my school, the rules are very strict. You have to have two parents working or to be a vulnerable vulnerable kid. So that's why we have uh, so few uh, kids at the moment. 
uh, and it's in France more and more they say that we are having a rehearsal actually of what is going to happen in September. So we have started with the very young kids because the parents could not go working if they were at home. So they've started with uh, preschool and primary schools. But uh, we are not in real um, circumstances <laughs> rehearsal because, uh, for example, in the, in, uh, I'm a mother, my, uh, my girl, she's seven. In her school, uh, there are so few uh, children that they are not up to the maximum of 15 per class. So that's not real rehearsal. And in the, in the second, secondary school, they have decided just to um, take two years. And on the 2nd of June, we will know exactly what is going to happen. They have decided that probably schools would reopen totally. So I will know more uh, on the 2nd of June. And for the moment, uh, it really depends on the school. In my school, each uh, kid is behind a computer and actually is looked after and uh, just do the homeschooling at school, being uh, looked after by a teacher but just to allow the parents to go back work, actually. It's just to prevent uh, more economical collapse. It's not real. I mean, the kids that we would really like uh, to come back uh, in order to help them, uh, they are not at school. The special needs, the kids that we know don't have uh, a good uh, familiar uh, environment. Uh, they, they, we were hoping, we asked parents to put them back home, but as it's, uh, you cannot force the parents to put them back, we don't really have the kids that we would like to have. We would like to have the kids with who we had no link during the whole lockdown. We would like to know if everything is all right, etc. but those kids are not back home. Back, back home. They are still home. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, I'm heading. I just wanted to say to Aggie, um, we have the Skype restrictions and all the laws in Germany as well. But our um, educational ministry said during this crisis, everything is out of bounds. You can do whatever you like. So when the crisis is over, we, will, we, can, we must go back to more uh, safer um, environments, online environments. But the problem is, uh, as you know, we have all the school cloud and all these things, but it is very difficult to enter for, for parents, for students. It's limited. It's not running as smoothly as Skype or WhatsApp is running. So um, this is the reason um, why we can't use it at the moment. Uh, and we are not, the schools are not equipped enough. And it's always uh, um, privately what you do. So I am the only teacher who does online classes in my school. There is no other one doing it. So... And um, yeah, that's the, the case here. I'd just like to jump, <coughs> jump back yeah. in a little bit um, part and go back to what David said uh, in the initial part of the conversation about respite. David, I was speaking to someone this morning from the Short Breaks program in Hertfordshire, and they're actually getting quite a bit more investment being put into them to try and engage with the same amount of pupils. And Richard, this might be something for yourself to look into with snowability. I believe the Short Breaks program is going to get an extreme bit of funding to try and expand for this respite during the summer holidays. And this is something that uh, we're finding as well at the Gold Trust is as an individual sport that can be done outdoors in some very, very small numbers and spaces that parents are adapting and getting the information 
what we're doing is we're highlighting a lot of problems here. Um, and there are problems, but there's also a lot of solutions. And I think it's very, very key we start to focus on some of these solutions as well. Um, because as we said, we are moving to phase one, to phase two, and in some areas of Europe and around the world, phase three. Um, so there are, there is a new normal. Um, we're having to adapt. And uh, as, we, as we adapt, we're going to have to try and learn ourselves what, what works. And the, the short, break, short breaks program is something that this forum has the ability, with all its connections, to actually potentially set up our own short breaks activity for respite in safe environments. Um, obviously, we've got golf, mobility. We've got Jason Watts Foundation, Bridgestone Arena, the Village School, the Avenue School uh, in France, in Germany. I know there's plenty of leisure facilities around. And something like this would be fantastic to try and to try and get going, um, because it's we, we we talk about autism, but we've got to focus for this sometimes. I think specifically on on um, on the SLD side of things and uh, children and adults with more severe physical disabilities, where both parents can't work uh, due to the needs on the child. Um, these short breaks, these respite breaks, are something that needs to be put in action. Um, soon, and, and it's nice and refreshing to see the government today, um, talking or yesterday, talking about putting more money into charities after outbreak coronavirus, shall we say, to, to really engage with the community that are vulnerable. Well, I think it's quite a few points well made there, Kai. For me, I think what we've got to look at is yes, this forum is a voice that action sits behind because we do need to take some action. I think David, in the weeks that he's come along, has played a pivotal role because we get that parent input to, to say, okay, are the strategies that we're doing, are they pulling through, are they working, where could they be improved? And it's taking those messages and our combined effort and combined thinking to come out with a new template. And sort of to, to close off this week, I think that the question I want to put out there, it, it's still difficult to get a feel of, what is going to be the new norm? It's still difficult, but we do know that it's not going to be what it was before. Mm. So in that respect, what is the new norm that you'd kind of be looking for? Because we can't, we know it's not going to go back to what it was before. I know it's a big question. I know it's a difficult question, but, it's one we at least need to try and start answering. I think um, from my perspective, um, I think we touched on it last week, I, I can definitely see that the virtual school inside of things being definitely um, in the forefront for the foreseeable future. And um, I think all speakers have touched on how well like everyone's um, being creative and getting resources up to, to um, parents and there's been good communication links. Um, one of the things we're currently doing at Village School is reviewing our, our technology and the impact that it's had and how many students are accessing this. And so things we might be looking to in the future is utilising some of our budgets to provide more laptops for um, parents at home. And so, yeah, I think that's going to fit alongside um, the phased returns and in line with the government guidance. That's the way I see things currently. Richard? I think the great thing that actually is going to come out of this is the collaboration between a student. You know, as a general rule, you, you talk about a student and then, you know, it's the sort of the one-to-one -one from that point of view. But, of course, it's the student and their family 
and the other people that the organization <laughs> as well and getting everybody basically working working together and supporting one another you know so you know i think of a student that i have coming in well actually what exactly what kai does is i know would be hugely beneficial for the for my students so the first thing i'll be doing is signposting to people like kai and then also you know we also get you know because we have a a lot of students who where there'll be young children in the families and they're looking for the schools and the thing is you'll be will be then signposting to the people that are supporting you know all parts again part of this group so i just think this whole really beneficial part of it is everybody really working together for the best interest of that individual student and their family group and the people that support them. okay margaret yeah i'm i'm with richard i think it'll be a really good place if we can all sort of um <coughs> sort of collaborate so as we can provide for the best for our people okay um law strangely enough i would say that uh, this lockdown have created with most of the parents a uh, climate of trust because most of them told me that they would believe that in such a crisis they would they, they would just lose contact with the teachers and they were very nearly surprised that we could be so caring not just talking about uh, the homework uh, that they had to do but talking about their personal situation to know if everything is okay, if the kids were all right. And I think it has changed a lot the, the vision the parents uh, had about the teachers, because now they know that even in such hard times, we are here to help the kids uh, and to collaborate, as you said, with the parents. And I think that will be the positive aspects on which we can um, count on afterwards <coughs> and, and build from henning yes and i think it's uh, important um that we if we have the possibility to get this uh, the students once out of the family i mean um I, next week uh, i start uh, with uh, one kid going to the zoo another day i will visit another one of my students in in their garden at home so just to uh, even with distance to just to, to show that you are still there and to keep the contact. It, it, it doesn't have to be much, but, and uh, it's all, also, um, sometimes it can put a lot of stress. We had one student, my <coughs> colleague went there and she saw the student on the balcony. And after she left, the student was crying the whole day and asking for the teacher to come back. It's not always the case that it is really useful to do it, especially when the uh, students are so disabled that they can't um, yeah, understand why we, you have to leave. I mean, we have those students as well. It's uh, not probably not the case at your school law, and I know that all your students also at Meadow High, for example, are more gifted than our students. So it's, um, but for some of our students, especially when they are young and in primary school, it's really, really difficult. So it's always, always have to be um, what it's what is best and yeah but right. yeah so fantastic that's... fantastic keisha so uh, i'm not too sure you know what step the schools are going to take what i do know however that you know they're looking into 
social distancing being the, the new norm. Um, the parents, however, I, I mean, moving forward with all of this, they would, I think right now they're seeing, you know, how necessary it is to, you know, learn more about their child and, you know, what is really happening with the child and how much more probably work they may have to do with the child. So now I believe, you know, a lot of emphasis being put towards the families and helping the families so that they have a better understanding and they have a better relationship with the teachers and with the schools. Um, that, you know, moving forward, I, I believe that, you know, we may want to look into what does um, not scare me, but I'm really interested to see how this will happen moving forward is, you know, children are always excited to go to school to play with their friends and, you know, socialize with their friends. And you would have children going home. Those who don't understand me be like, mom, well, this one don't want to play with me anymore without really understanding what is going on. You have now the level of anxiety going up with the child going back to school and now they can't play with their the friends and socialize, you know, and probably getting them to go back to school because that we know with some children, they, they, if their friend's not playing with them, they don't want to go to school. This one doesn't want to, you know, socialize with me. So, you know, looking at these, you know, things moving forward is to consider as to how the child is going to take the social distancing in the classroom or during recess time, you know, and, you know, just making sure that the parents is being updated and in relation with the schools and the teachers. Aggie, David, and then Kai. I think what we are already observing and what was mentioned and what I think would, I would like to, to see continuing is that the fact that I think the whole society and especially parents might actually appreciate uh, schooling uh, and the care that the teachers are providing their beloved children with because sometimes it, it has been very much underestimated what we do and how much we do care, exactly as law has mentioned as well, that actually we care far beyond our teacher's job description. And, and what I would like to see as an outcome, as something that might be positive, I think it's, it's a good time for all of the professionals, anyone within education, to actually review our educational systems and the curriculum and what do we exactly provide our SEN children with and, and, and what's actually the essential teaching that we need to focus on. Because you see, um, when you go back to basics, you see that um, those kids really do need a lot of social interaction and, and life skills and that sort of stuff. Sometimes uh, the curriculum, I feel, is a little bit overloaded with, with over-ambitious um, subjects. And uh, as much as I am very for um, academic development as well, I think we need to kind of maybe take a little step back, not just in school, but, but, but in life, and, and then maybe slow down a little bit and review certain practices within education. So that's what I think I would like to see as a positive outcome. Sorry, Margaret, you probably want to right. correct me or add. <laughs> yeah, can I just say that actually this is happening since um, the reform of the curriculum. It's now a functional curriculum. It's all about preparation for adulthood. It's no longer about teaching children things that are, is not going to have, be of any use to them. We need to develop the skills that is going to support them in the longer term outcomes and their personal <coughs> development. 
And, and I do agree, and that is, for example, happening in my school, but I don't have the feeling it's happening across the whole world. And, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely think we're starting to adapt our curriculums in line with the Ofsted framework. And like Margaret was saying, um, also, our students, um, we take into account their EHCP, so everything we're doing within the curriculum underpins that. So I definitely yeah. think we are starting to focus a lot more on that and preparing for adulthood. Okay. Um, David? Uh, Mike, I think, you know, one thing from, from the various sort of discussions that I've been involved with over the course of the last, say, six or seven weeks, you know, one thing that is apparent is that you know, there, there is a lot of discussion going on. There is a lot of thinking going on. Um, and, you know, th there is going to be, you know, new sort of systems, new safe systems in place, which will allow, you know, students to, to you know, socially distance and, you know, at the same time, you know, get, you know, get, get the balance of education and so on. So obviously there's a lot of, risk assessment going on in the background at various schools and there's a lot of discussion with experts and so on. So it, it, it is definitely going the right direction. Um, but there's obviously still, still, you know, a lot to be done. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's really all I want to say. Guy. Um, yeah, it's been <clears throat> extremely informative and the more we talk and learn about other people and other families and other, other schools in our countries as well, it, my mind sort of goes to, there's a lot of, common denominators that we all have um we all seem to be speaking to families who have the same common issue and we've only been locked down for two months but six months down the line we've got to look at what could happen there could be an increase in childhood obesity which means the counter that we've got to get the social activity levels up we've really got to get these children back active in a safe way the education levels have to be back in the right way we're all on the, the same the same page which is fantastic to see and one of the things i think I'm hearing, and I think a lot of you are hearing from parents as well, is that I believe a lot of parents will have <coughs> a vested interest in their child's education after this by learning what the child can do. A lot of schools may longer, and sporting venues like ourselves and sporting charities like ourselves won't become creches. We will actually be people investing in our time to try and get the best for their child. Whereas sometimes I know we can be a creche um, for a lot of people. I think now that's going to change. I think Social distancing measures mean we can't get hands on. We need that family interaction. Um, there's so many positives to come out of this. We've always got to go back to those positives. Every negative is a positive solution, and that's what we're all trying to achieve. Yeah, fantastic. Well, believe it or not, in going round the table, we have actually created our own manifesto. And um, I've written down a few points. Just let me go. Let me let me go through it. Like. We started off with, uh, Jonathan talked about the virtual offering and how we've learned from that, how we can now make that something that is permanent going forward rather than something that is used in crisis time. So that's one of the areas. Um, the other area is closing the family gap. We've, and that's the point you've just made really uh, uh, there, Kai. You know, that is... That is so important. Law talks about a climate of, of trust. And now people are starting to understand how invested the teachers are in, in the welfare of that, of that child, making more of that and building that, that, that area of trust does break down those, those barriers. 
keeping the connection with families that we've developed during this time. That shouldn't go away because with that comes the applied sensitivities because you start to understand, you know, the, the whole picture rather than just the part of it that you're exposed to at school or the part of it that the parents may be exposed to at home but are, are now seeing some of that school life transition into home. Uh, so, again, that, that gap is, is, is closing. Parents becoming more invested. Also, having a better resourced home life. So what does that look like? These are the things where, you know, before we couldn't, we couldn't do that. And last but not least, a system review and a need to adapt to our circumstance. You know, so rather than just tick boxes, is that applicable? And I think when we look at all of those things, which have all come out of what you guys have been saying, there's, there's quite a, a powerful manifesto that we can we can build and follow up on and push through. Uh, guys, I um, uh, just want to say on behalf of the foundation, thank you everyone for joining us uh, from overseas. It's been really, really um, enlightening just hearing some of your stories, uh, what's happening with young people, how you're coping as teachers. And thanks, Aggie, for, for bringing that together. You know, we're just going to keep soldiering on. We've got some new topics that we will come up for next week and some of the podcasts will start to get released. But you know, we just want to keep this group going, keep working, keep finding new ways to work together. And um, yeah, long, long may it continue. Henning, Law, really thank you for joining us. Aggie, thanks for uh, organising that. You're welcome to join us again. We will make sure that we put you on the invite list. So drop in. We always want that, that fixture. Uh, Keish joined us on week two and has been permanent since. We're all glad, always glad to have Aggie's back for a second time. Richard, it's over to yeah. you. What do we tell everybody? Well, if for our international partners, you are not alone. Thank you. You take care. Good up. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. If you'd like to ask a question or be a guest on one of our future podcasts, please feel free to contact us at yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org. That's yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org.